0: The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Harry Potter Theory YouTube channel. Hey everyone, welcome to another installment of Harry Potter Theory. Today I've got something special for you- a complete documentary on the history of Hogwarts and the lives of all four founders. Godric Gryffindor, Salazar Slytherin, Helga Hufflepuff, and Rowena Ravenclaw. In this video I've left no stone unturned in the discussion of Hogwarts tumultuous history, and I've included everything I could possibly find on the school's four founders. By the end of this video you're going to be an expert. I'm going to kick things off by discussing how the school was founded, then begin diving into the rich histories of each founder. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hogwarts was founded at some point during the 10th century. It was built hidden off somewhere in the Scottish Highlands. The exact location is never actually revealed, and this was because the 10th century was a time of hardship for witches and wizards. During this time, every day, witches and wizards were being persecuted by muggles, who were intensely hostile when it came to witnessing sources of magic. In order to further protect the staff, students and school itself, additional precautions were made in the form of charms helping to further conceal the school from muggle trespassers. If a muggle were to just happen to stumble upon the school grounds, they would only see ruins, and signs warning them to stay away. Hogwarts was founded when four 10th century witches and wizards got together, and decided that they had, in the sorting hat's own words, the selfsame yearning to make the world's best magic school. These founders were Godric Gryffindor, Rowena Ravenclaw, Salazar Slytherin, and Helga Hufflepuff. Thus, Hogwarts was born. The name Hogwarts actually came from founder Rowena Ravenclaw, who had a dream where a warty hog led her to a cliff by a lake. It's also been speculated this is how they chose the location for the school as well. After its establishment, like with any institution, a crest was formed for Hogwarts. Emblazoned upon the school crest are the words Draco Dormian Nunquam titilandus, which roughly translates to Never Tickle a Sleeping Dragon. Rowling revealed the true meaning of this motto in an interview. The name is just an idiom, derived from let sleeping dogs lie. It's a magnification, if you will. It basically means don't stir up trouble, don't open up a can of worms, don't stir up a hornet's nest, and definitely don't play with fire. If you tickle a sleeping dragon, then you're probably only causing problems for yourself, problems that could be easily avoided if you simply didn't tickle a sleeping dragon. Anyway, after the founders, who were close friends, founded the school, they decided that they would each create an head their own house, which would represent a personality trait and skill that they wanted to nurture. And it just so happened that despite being close friends, each founder happened to value very different things, which created quite an interesting and diverse array of students at the school. Gryffindor students embodied bravery and chivalry, Ravenclaw intelligence and wit, Hufflepuff loyalty and fair play, and Slytherin the values of being sly and cunning and for years, the Hogwarts founders served as head of their respective houses, and sorted students into their houses manually. However, when it occurred to them that they wouldn't be around forever, they needed to come up with some sort of way that they could continue to sort students when they were no longer around. Thus, the sorting hat was born. Godric Gryffindor pulled his completely normal hat off of his head and made the suggestion to the other founders that, using their collective magic, they enchant the hat and turn it into a sentient being. It was important to the founders that the houses they formed would continue to follow by the beliefs from which they were based. These virtues, or inherent characteristics, are best summed up in the Sorting Hat's own words. By Gryffindor, the bravest were, prized far beyond the rest. For Ravenclaw, the cleverest, would always be the best. For Hufflepuff, hard workers were, most worthy of admission, and power-hungry Slytherin loved those of great ambition. Essentially, how it works is this. Upon placing the sorting hat on your head, it will begin to analyse your mind, and place you in a house based on how closely you resemble one of the four founders. If the hat senses great bravery, Gryffindor is a likely choice. If the hat senses great intelligence, Ravenclaw is a likely choice. If the hat senses that someone is a hard worker, Hufflepuff is a likely choice. And finally, if the hat senses that someone is hungry for power, then Slytherin is a likely choice. After the sorting hat was put in place, it made things much easier for the founders, and it couldn't have come at a better time, as the founders were beginning to have a bit of a falling out. But before we get into that, let's take a look at the four founders of Hogwarts a little bit closer. Of the four founders of Hogwarts, there are none quite as beloved as Godric Gryffindor. He was one of the most powerful duelists of his era, with both a wand and a sword. And the students of his house have proven themselves time and time again, as champions of the wizarding world, as they defeated the likes of Gellert Grindelwald, Lord Voldemort, and many a dark wizard. But despite his impressive legacy, many of his most famous feats and achievements have all but been forgotten. Godric Gryffindor was likely born sometime before the year 960 CE in a village in the west country of England. Unlike some of his other co-founders, like Salazar Slytherin, the exact location of Godric Gryffindor's birth is pretty easy to determine. In commemoration of his long years of service to the wizarding community, that small village in the west country was renamed to Godric's Hollow in his honor, and it was actually home to many of the most famous Gryffindors of the 19th and 20th centuries. The Dumbledore family, perhaps as early as 1864, resided in Godric's Hollow, as well as the Potter family, who lived in a small family cottage until Lord Voldemort's fateful attack. During his life, Godric Gryffindor must have shared the same challenges as other witches and wizards of the time, mainly the persecution of the community by muggles, who were increasingly fearful of those who could wield magic. Throughout his life, Godric Gryffindor surely faced the hatred of the non-wizarding community, but interestingly, when compared to one of his childhood friends, Salazar Slytherin, Godric never tried to retaliate. In fact, amongst the four Hogwarts founders, Godric was the most vocal in his support of the muggle community and muggle-born wizards. That alone has led some to question Gryffindor's own heritage. Some would suggest that Gryffindor might have been a half-blood, although this is extremely unlikely. One of his closest friends was, as we've already mentioned, Salazar Slytherin, who spent nearly his entire life working on behalf of purebloods. As a young man, in the decades prior to the founding of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Godric became quite an icon. With his skills with both the sword and the wand, he was renowned as one of the greatest duelists of the era. And with his massive, broad shoulders, and red hair that was often described as a lion's mane, he was an intimidating presence in any arena. Even though he could defeat almost any opponent in a magical duel, Gryffindor often opted to use a simple sword, especially if he was facing off against a muggle. Godric took great care to preserve honor and respect. Even in combat, the very traits that would go on to partially define his house at Hogwarts. Sometime before the year 990 CE, the year Hogwarts was founded, Godric Gryffindor found himself in correspondence with three of the greatest wizards and witches of his era. One was his longtime friend Salazar Slytherin. The other two were Helga Hufflepuff, a witch from Wales who was highly talented in charms, and Rowena Ravenclaw a witch from Scotland who had an infamous falling out with her own daughter. The four were already famous for their abilities, and together, they hoped to combine their skills in order to teach future generations of witches and wizards. Each of these founding members of Hogwarts had their own vision for education, and with that were given leeway in how they instructed classes. In their early discussions, it must have been apparent that Godric Gryffindor just as his reputation as one of the greatest sword duelists of the time seemed to indicate, hoped to find the bravest and most determined students. While some members, like Helga Hufflepuff, didn't put such heavy burdens on freshly enrolled students, as Gryffindor did. And if there's a flaw in the legendary hero of England, then that's perhaps the largest one. In creating his house, Gryffindor hoped to establish a legacy that would last for centuries to come, one centered around the warrior's ideals that he himself embodied when he withdrew his ruby-inlaid sword in combat. But when compared with our own modern concept of education, and the role that a teacher should play in a student's development, Godric's could be said to be far outdated. Some might even say that Godric wrongly conflated his own delight in duelling and battles to the death as brave, so when he served as the leader of his house, he might have taught his children to solve problems by fighting their way out of the situation, instead of using other tactics, like diplomacy, which actually might have saved more lives. Whatever your take on Godric's education philosophy may be, it's hard to deny the effect the wizard had. While other houses like Slytherin, gave rise to some of the most terrible dark wizards the world would ever see, Gryffindor brought about the likes of Albus Dumbledore, James and Lily Potter, and Minerva McGonagall. As the school grew, Gryffindor, Slytherin, Hufflepuff, and Ravenclaw discovered a handful of challenges that they would need to overcome. First of all, even though wizards and witches tended to be longer lived than their muggle counterparts, they would inevitably die. The founders wondered how students would be sorted in the years following their deaths. During those discussions, it's likely that the other founders simply wanted their heirs, the teachers that would succeed them, to select students on their behalf but Gryffindor had a different idea. He popped the brown leather hat off his head, and together they imbued it with the power to decide which house a student would belong to. This, of course, is the Sorting Hat. But Gryffindor laid another, secret enchantment on the hat, and it had to do with this sword. Sometime just before or sometime during his time at Hogwarts, Godric Gryffindor had commissioned the creation of a silver sword. In later years, it would become known simply as the Sword of Gryffindor. But during that time, the goblins who had created the blade might have known it as Ragnuk's sword. After all, Ragnuk I, one of the greatest silversmiths of the age, had spread a rumor amongst the goblin community that the sword was actually his, and Gryffindor had stolen it. The goblins had been so angered by the news that a group of easily manipulated goblin thugs tried to knock Godric unconscious and rip the sword from him. Gryffindor famously withdrew his wand in response, and cast a spell on the woefully outmatched goblins, sending them back to Ragnok with a threat of their own. If the goblin ever tried to steal the sword again, Godric would drag its blade through the lot of them, and leave them lifeless on their dust-covered foundry floor. When Gryffindor joined the other three founders in enchanting the Sorting Hat, he added an additional bit of magic. Whenever a true Gryffindor was in need of help, they could reach their hand into the hat to withdraw Ragnarck's sword. Now, Godric was never highly regarded for his mastery of divination, but the enchantment he put on the sorting hat seems to indicate otherwise. Why else would children at Hogwarts need quick access to a weapon that was powerful enough to slay a basilisk? Again, the same critics of Godric's legacy might simply suggest that he was a combat-obsessed wizard of the dark ages. Who couldn't quite distinguish what was appropriate for his students. But that hardly seems to be right. After all, the time of Godric Gryffindor was filled with more than enough enemies to make a young wizard fear for their life. With witch hunts looming on the horizon, and dark wizards from within the English magical community sprouting here and there, Godric had every reason to worry for future students at Hogwarts. But as the years passed at Hogwarts, Gryffindor faced a new challenge with his oldest friend, Salazar Slytherin was becoming increasingly intolerant of muggles and half-bloods. He didn't like the idea of Hogwarts admitting anyone other than Pure-Bloods. If we look past the simple prejudice and try to figure out why Slytherin held such an extreme opinion, it's likely due to his own painful experience with muggles in his youth. Whatever torment he faced at the hands of the non-magical community certainly didn't excuse his own extremism, but it does add an extra sense of tragedy. In the end, Gryffindor, along with the other founding members of Hogwarts, decided that enough was enough, and Slytherin left the school. That unfortunately was the last great event in Godric's life. After Salazar's departure, Gryffindor surely missed his old friend. They had created so much together, and helped the wizarding community in innumerable ways. If only Salazar could forget his obsession with purebloods, then who knows what new heights the pair would have achieved. In the years that followed, Godric likely passed the seasons in the same ways he always did, teaching the next generations of witches and wizards from within the walls of Hogwarts, watching the seasons change time and time again. Eventually, Gryffindor died, passing some time in the 11th century. His legacy and the ideals of courage and stalwartness became the bedrock for much of the wizarding community as we know it today. Without his contributions to Hogwarts, It's unlikely that the world could have survived the rise of wizards like Grindelwald and Voldemort, but, perhaps more interestingly, the fates of the greatest Gryffindors, Harry Potter and Albus Dumbledore, likely would have turned out far darker. The lives and legacies of Hogwarts founders are more than enough to fill a volume or two in Madame Pince's library- at least, that's true of most. But if we look past the achievements of Godric Gryffindor, Helga Hufflepuff, and Rowena Ravenclaw, then you'll be surprised to find that very little remains of Salazar Slytherin, and it's important to ask, why? After all, the lasting impact that Salazar made on the wizarding world at the turn of the first millennium was far greater than most, save only his co-founders and perhaps the Peverell siblings. Why, then, does it seem that history has chosen to neglect him? Well, I think we should start at the beginning, all the way back to the 10th century when he was born. What Do We Know Of Salazar Slytherin's Early Life? Like his childhood best friend Godric Gryffindor, who he would later join in the establishment of the world's finest wizarding school, Salazar Slytherin was born in Britain. We can't be exactly sure on the details, but it seems like Salazar's homeland was England or Scotland. As most historical texts were recorded on paper parchment, a small detail like Slytherin's birthplace was rarely marked down and if it was, the document on which it was written didn't survive to the present day. Some historians suppose that Slytherin actually hailed from Ireland, which means he would have been a fellow countryman of the mighty Fingal the Fearless. Although Salazar likely moved from place to place as his parents advanced his education or fled persecution, the theory that he was born in Ireland is a bit more doubtful once you consider who Slytherin's greatest childhood friend was- Godric Gryffindor. This other founder of Hogwarts was famously born in the west country of England, and even lent his name to a village, as Godric's Hollow was named after him- the very same town that the Dumbledore family resided in nearly a thousand years later. While the controversy surrounding Salazar Slytherin's hometown remains, the manner in which he was raised is far clearer. As you might suspect, Slytherin was likely raised in a family that despised muggles. It was during his childhood that his hatred for non-purebloods was forged. Although it might be simple enough to consider Salazar's hatred as a simple inheritance bestowed upon him by his parents, there could be other reasons. England at this time, in the 10th century, was filled with the fervor of the Anglo-Saxon Christian church. As they sought to purge the landscape of pagan idols and their worshippers, magical families were undoubtedly targeted in the attacks. Surely part of Salazar's prejudice was from a sense of elitism, but in the end, he might have simply used his hatred of purebloods as a way to cope with the butchering of the wizarding world. Before joining his peers in the founding of Hogwarts, Salazar earned renown as an accomplished wizard. Like other dark wizards throughout history, Salazar Slytherin was capable of communicating with serpents. As a Parseltongue, he shared this unique trait with the creator of the very first basilisk, Herpo the Fowl, and Salazar's own distant descendant, Tom Riddle. Salazar would need this ability when he created the Chamber of Secrets, sometime before he was forced to leave Hogwarts, but I'll get to that story in a bit. During his youth, Salazar also famously created his very own wand, a magical relic that would have a legacy of a 1000 years old. Salazar originally created the weapon out of snakewood, and even embedded a tiny piece of a basilisk within it. When we think of the greatest jewelists of the time, we often turn our attention first to Godric Gryffindor, who wielded both a sword and wand in combat. But Slytherin was no slouch either, although his ability to craft wands outshied any of his jewels. The weapon eventually became an heirloom of his family. At one point it made the journey across the Atlantic and wound up in the New World, where it was eventually transformed into a magical snakewood tree. Besides his wand, Salazar had trained himself in a number of magical disciplines. As a Legilimens, the dark wizard was able to read others' thoughts, and even project visions into their minds. While there aren't many records about Salazar's particular feats with this discipline, we can safely assume that he rivalled the likes of later wizards- Severus Snape and Lord Voldemort. Voldemort's own feats with Legilimency, while seeming effortless, great enough to make many consider him the greatest legilimens of the era. He regularly invaded the minds of his enemies, and was particularly cruel when he used the skill against Harry Potter. Like the earliest dark wizard, Herpo the Foul, Salazar Slytherin had also mastered the ability of creating a basilisk- a giant, venomous serpent that was one of the deadliest creatures in the wizarding world. By Harry Potter's time, breeding and holding basilisks in captivity was a crime that could very well earn you several years in prison. Salazar's ability to speak Parseltongue served him well in this field. Basilisks were a 5X class beast and were deemed impossible to tame. That's why dark wizards, especially those who had a penchant for Parseltongue, were among the only beings to control the serpents. Their ability to communicate with the giant snakes meant they could at least steer them in the right direction. As you might suspect, Salazar Slytherin would use this skill to place a basilisk in the Chamber of Secrets, but again, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. I suppose you might be wondering when, exactly, did Salazar Slytherin get the idea to create Hogwarts? Well, the exact dates of Hogwarts founding aren't quite clear. Some suggest the year 993, while others claim 990. While nailing down the school's founding date is tricky, figuring out how old Salazar was at the time of its creation is even harder. It doesn't seem that historians concur on any one particular age, but it wouldn't make sense for Salazar to be much younger than his early thirties in order to help found Hogwarts. While joining his friends- Godric Gryffindor, Rowena Ravenclaw, and Helga Hufflepuff, it didn't seem like the Slytherin's questionable past raised any questions. You have to remember, in later years, the divide between dark wizards and their peers was quite stark. But at this point, especially with the persecution that all the wizarding community face at the hands of muggles, Slytherin's propensity for dark magic was demonstrably far less evil than witch hunts and burnings. Located in the Scottish Highlands, Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry allowed Salazar a great deal of freedom with his unique vision for the future generations of wizards. As each founder had their own house, Slytherin decided that he would dedicate his to a particular type of wizard. Slytherin didn't target the recklessly courageous, as Gryffindors did, or the senselessly loyal, as Hufflepuff was known to do. And unlike Rowena Ravenclaw's house, which recruited the smartest of every incoming class, Slytherin preferred the most cunning. He hated Muggles. That much we already knew. So Slytherin's house actively discriminated against Muggle-born students during the sorting hat ceremony. In fact, it was, in part, thanks to Salazar's skills with charms that brought the sorting hat to life. He, along with the other founders, enchanted one of Godric's old, tattered hats and used it to choose new members of their respective houses. It's hard to know exactly what Hogwarts looked like during Slytherin's time at the school. As a 10th century wizarding academy, it must have been far different than Hogwarts during Harry or even James Potter's time. With muggle attacks on the wizarding community burning through the country, Salazar must have been a strong proponent of teaching techniques that made his students more than capable of defeating throngs of villagers armed with simple steel weapons. But as we mentioned at the very beginning, there isn't much known of the life and times of Salazar Slytherin, and it's in large part due to how he ended his time at Hogwarts. During the early years of the school, Slytherin eventually butted heads with his fellow founders While his dark wizarding ways didn't initially bother Godric, Helga, or Rowena, his anti-muggle rhetoric, however right it must have been at the time, didn't sit well with the others. At one point, Slytherin laid down an ultimatum. He couldn't imagine a future for the school if it continued accepting muggle-born wizards into the program. Even though Slytherin was given a great deal of freedom with his own house, and the sorting hat itself aided Salazar in rejecting non-purebloods from his program, the dark wizard wanted more. He wanted every house within Hogwarts to enroll only the finest purebloods, and when this issue eventually came to a boiling point, Slytherin found that his co-founders wouldn't budge. They thought muggle-borns were just as important as purebloods, and they couldn't tolerate Slytherin's prejudice any longer. Even Salazar's oldest friend, dear Godric, rebuked Slytherin for his intolerance. In the end, Salazar felt that he was forced to abandon Hogwarts, the very school that he had spent so many years helping to form, but he didn't leave the school unblemished. In the years to come, the sorting hat would continue to select students based on Salazar's preferences. And there was one more stain Slytherin so left behind. In the depths of Hogwarts, only accessible by hidden pathways, the dark wizard had created the Chamber of Secrets, a secret chamber complete with a statue of his likeness. Then, as Harry drew level with the last pair of pillars, a statue high as the chamber itself loomed into view, standing against the back wall. It was ancient and monkeyish, with a long thin beard that fell almost to the bottom of the wizard's sweeping stone robes, where two enormous grey feet stood on the smooth chamber floor. But that wasn't the only thing in the chamber. Slytherin also placed a giant, venomous basilisk one that rivalled the murderous beast that Herpo perfected in a prior age deep within the dungeon. Salazar hoped that one of his heirs would take up his charge, to rid the world of muggle-born wizards with the aid of his serpent. His dreams would be realized 1000 years later when Tom Riddle accessed the chamber and attacked his non-pureblood classmates. Unfortunately, not much is known about the period after Salazar left Hogwarts, But many believe that he died just a short period after creating the Chamber of Secrets. If you think about the greatest founder of Hogwarts, who comes to mind? If you value overall magical abilities, you might be tempted to choose Salazar Slytherin. After all, he created a secret enchanted chamber right under the noses of the three other original teachers at the school, and none of them ever found out. But if you are fascinated by the legacy of wizards who triumphed over dark sorcerers, you'd likely suggest Godric Gryffindor. The students who enrolled in his house were among the strongest wizards in all of Europe, and in the 20th century, Gryffindor students were responsible for defeating not just Grindelwald, but also the far more terrifying dark wizard Tom Riddle. I'd imagine even a few of you would throw out Rowena Ravenclaw as your choice. Unlike the other founders, Rowena wasn't interested in courage or pure blood. She chose her students based on their intelligence. The greatest wand maker in the world, the man responsible for giving both Lord Voldemort and Harry Potter the tools they needed to duel, Garrick Ollivander, was actually a graduate of Rowena's house, but I'm willing to claim that Helga Hufflepuff, the fourth and last founder of Hogwarts, might actually have been greater than all the rest. Why? Well. That's what we're going to talk about today. When we look at her life and legacy, just like the other founders of Hogwarts, Helga Hufflepuff represented a unique part of the British Isles. Godric Gryffindor was born in the West Country of England, Rowena Ravenclaw in a narrow valley within the Scottish countryside, and Salazar Slytherin in Ireland. Although that last part is often contested, but Helga, just like one of the most unique indigenous creatures in Britain, the green Welsh dragons hailed from Wales. Although the ancient records of her hometown have been lost, we know that Helga was raised far away from the urban trading centres that bordered England, and instead grew up deep within the Welsh countryside, amidst its flowing creeks and low rolling hills. Considering how great of an influence the birthplace of Hogwarts other founders played in their roles as teachers, it's surprising to note that Helga Hufflepuff's Welsh heritage might have merely been a footnote for the highly regarded witch. Gryffindor, despite his reputation as one of the most noble sorcerers of his time, had a particularly bad habit of eagerly jumping into duels. That trait, courage in the face of possible death, was the very thing the sorting had to search for when selecting students for Godric's house, and historians have often cited Gryffindor's English heritage, and his life in the small town that would eventually bear his name, Godric's Hollow, as the landscape that moulded his bravery. Even Slytherin, who was rumored to move about quite often, first starting in Ireland and eventually making his way to Gryffindor's village, was shaped by his home. Having faced the sharp-tongued jeers of muggles who feared the magical community, Slytherin developed a deep hatred for any non-magical being. This prejudice, of course, later got him kicked out of Hogwarts, but it is another trait that historians have attached to the landscape he was raised in. When we think of Helga Hufflepuff, Her greatest attribute was her fair and kind heart. When we talk about her time as a teacher at Hogwarts, we'll dive into what Helga's fairness actually meant, in terms of her students. Although we know Helga's birthplace, it's impossible to know her actual birthdate. Like the other founders of Hogwarts and pretty much anyone else from the wizarding world at the time, surviving parchment records are hard to come by. The best we can do is look at the founding date of Hogwarts and deduce how old Helga must have been at the time. Now, we know that Hogwarts was established in the year 993, just a few short years of the turn of the millennium. Certainly, Helga Hufflepuff was born at least a few decades before, but it's deciphering exactly how long prior that gets tricky. Since we know that Helga, Godric, Salazar, and Rowena are often cited as being close friends, then they must have been similar in age. And, Since most are rumored to have died in the 11th or 12th century, it's likely that Helga was in her 30s or 40s during the first few semesters, which would make her birth date sometime around 960 CE. As a co-founder of Hogwarts, Hufflepuff must have been among the greatest witches of her era. When we look at her particular skills, we find that she excelled at one of the lesser celebrated magical disciplines- food charms. Although you might be quick to dismiss this art form, you'd be wrong to do so. Hufflepuff's ability to create massive feasts and decadent desserts with her wand wouldn't help in a battle against a dark wizard. That's a fair point, certainly, but food charms are one of the most important parts of daily wizarding life. If you think about it carefully, you'd realise that the magical community's ability to quickly, efficiently, and hygienically prepare food throughout the middle ages was something that clearly separated it from the muggle world. Non-magical users often suffered various diseases, and even plagues, throughout much of early history. Some sicknesses were caused by spoiled food, while other ailments were spread to food stores by diseased vermin. It wasn't until the advent of modern medicine, during the 20th century, and the technological revolution that spawned refrigeration, that food-related illnesses stopped being a leading cause of death among children and adults aged 18 to 50 but throughout all of those centuries, the wizarding community was mostly unaffected. Of course, even during Helga's time, healing magic was quite adept at curing mundane diseases, like the flu or common cold. So even if a wizard contracted a food-related illness, it's likely that they would be able to treat it with a few swings of their wand. But that doesn't take away from a simple fact. Hufflepuff pushed food charms far beyond what they were before her and likely saved lives doing so. Her fellow co-founders obviously valued her magical contributions when they deemed Hufflepuff wise enough to help them join in creating Hogwarts. And it was during her time at Hogwarts that Helga's vision for the future created a legacy that helped more wizards than any of her peers, and is the main reason you'd be right to call her the greatest of them all. As we mentioned earlier, part of the rights given to each founder was how exactly to pick students for their respective houses. Just as each founder excelled in a particular magical discipline, they each desired their pupils who reflected that. Godric valued courage, Salazar favored purebloods, and Rowena accepted the most intelligent students. But Helga was different. She allowed anyone in. She didn't hold any bias against her students, and she didn't allow any of her preconceived notions of a young boy or girl To get in the way of how a formal magical education could transform their future. And in that way, Helga touched the lives of thousands of wizards who would have otherwise been rejected by the other houses. At most, Helga simply wanted good, honest children who would work hard and remain loyal to their friends. Even though the other houses produced far more famous graduates, it's hard to imagine any of them producing a greater message than Helga, Hogwarts was a school, after all, and not a factory for pumping out heroic wizards or evil dark sorcerers. If we simply analyse Helga Hufflepuff at face value, as a teacher and school founder, then her methods just don't seem like they can be beat. After founding the school, years passed as Helga taught fresh new faces every fall. But just as Godric Gryffindor and Rowena Ravenclaw would eventually come to understand, Helga started to feel like one of her co-founders was meddling in dark magic. In time, Salazar Slytherin would approach the other founders and request that they change their admittance standards. Salazar, still deeply scarred by the torment he likely suffered at the hands of muggles, wanted to bar half-bloods and muggle-borns from enrolling in Hogwarts, but the other founders refused to cede to Slytherin's demands and knowing how staunch and egalitarian Hufflepuff turned out to be, it's likely that she was the one leading the charge against Salazar. Eventually, Slytherin left the school, and the remaining three headmasters carried on without him. Fortunately for Helga, the rest of her life was uneventful, and the small schism with Salazar was the last large confrontation she had to suffer. She passed sometime in the 11th or 12th century, although this date too, been lost in time. When we look at the legacy of Helga Hufflepuff's education philosophy and the school that bore her name, it's easy to see that in some ways, she truly was ahead of her peers. Most of the graduates of House Hufflepuff were level-headed, reasonable young men and women. Although many of them never became powerful duelists or dark wizards like the graduates of Gryffindor or Slytherin, the Hufflepuff alumni shouldn't be ashamed of themselves some of them like Artemisia Lufkin and Grogan Stump, both former ministers for magic, went on to better the wizarding world in conventional, but meaningful ways. Rowena Ravenclaw, just like her other co-founders of Hogwarts, represented a unique part of the British landscape. While Godric Gryffindor's from a small town in the west country of England, Helga Hufflepuff lived in a rural, hill-covered county in Wales, and Salazar Slytherin was reported to have been born in Ireland, Helga represented Scotland and called the Highlands her home. All four of them were born in the tenth century, some decades before they founded Hogwarts sometime around 990 AD. In the years leading to the formation of the school, Rowena had already become renowned as one of the most skilled witches of her era. Her mastery of charms, which she would later use to create her famous diadem, made her quite a formidable magic user. Her thirst for knowledge pushed her to study magic at a pace nearly no other wizard or witch could compete with. But it wasn't just her tenacity that made her a powerful witch. Rowena also possessed an inexplicable, innate connection to the magical world, which is best reflected in her dreams. Prior to meeting her co-founders, Rowena would often dream of a wild boar. In those dreams, the beast would wind through the woods and valleys until it drew her to the foot of a massive, dark blue lake. Later in life, Rowena took these dreams as a premonition, and used them to guide her when choosing Hogwarts location, right at the foot of the Great Lake, which many Grindelows called home. By the year 990 AD, Rowena had known her fellow Hogwarts founders for some time. Although Helga Hufflepuff was her closest friend in the bunch, the other two members, Godric Gryffindor and Salazar Slytherin, were important to her as well. Together, they created a Hogwarts school of witchcraft and wizardry, and dedicated their lives to educating the magical youth of Britain in the ways of the wizarding world. Although the Ministry of Magic was still a few centuries away from creation, the ancient Britain that Rowena called home was still ruled by a complex series of laws. With disputes between muggles and wizards always increasing, Rowena and her fellow teachers strived to keep their students safe. And for a relatively short while, they achieved just that. As one of the co-founders of Hogwarts, Rowena left a strong impression on the school. In the years that followed her death, the values she instilled continued, making House Ravenclaw every bit as formidable as it had been during Rowena's tenure. When choosing students, Rowena had a very specific set of qualities that she looked for. Unlike Godric Gryffindor, who sought courage, or Slytherin, who went after purebloods, Ravenclaw wanted only the brightest students. The entire wizarding world would come to know just how selective Ravenclaw was, and graduates from a house would show off their affiliation with great honor. At some point during her time as a professor at Hogwarts, Rowena's daughter enrolled at the school. We're not quite sure what Rowena's relationship with the young girl was like, but it's easy to see that something was wrong. Although the historical records never mention it. A second look at Rowena's life, and achievements, might tell us all we need to know about her merit as a parent. Rowena was ambitious, ambitious enough to devote her time and energy to the arduous task of creating Hogwarts. She likely worked tirelessly at this task while Helena was still a young child, something that could have built animosity between the two. And whether Rowena deliberately sought to burden her or not, the pressure of having one of the smartest witches in Britain as your mother, was second to none. Helena likely bore the weight of perfection, and studied tirelessly to live up to her mother's expectations. After all, by the time Helena enrolled in Hogwarts, she would need to be smart enough for her mother to accept her into her own house, Ravenclaw. All of this pressure, combined with the judgement of her peers in the wizarding community, drove Helena to resent her mother even more. And when Helena finally acted out the harm was too much for her mother Rowena to bear. While her daughter Helena was still a student at Hogwarts, she decided to run away. The animosity between her and her mother had grown too great. Overwhelmed by the adoration her mother drew from other wizards and witches, Helena vowed that she would become even greater. So, she stole her mother's enchanted diadem and took off for Albania. Her mother's diadem was supposedly bewitched so that it granted its wearer greater wisdom. But in the months that followed Helena's act of betrayal, she never seemed to grow any wiser. Back at Hogwarts, Rowena could hardly fathom what had happened. Instead of telling her fellow founders and enlisting their help to bring Helena back to safety, Rowena hid the entire ordeal. Although Godric and Salazar might not have been helpful, Rowena wrongly hid the ordeal from Helga Hufflepuff. Helga, more than any witch in the wizarding world, was renowned for her compassion, and her ability to reach out to troubled magic users. But in the end, the shame was simply too much for Rowena to bear. Soon after Helena's departure, Rowena fell ill. Although she didn't know it at the time, she was dying. Magical historians often wonder if Rowena died from heartache due to her daughter's disappearance. Such a fate wasn't uncommon in the ancient magical world. Unfortunately, we might never know the truth. But in those final days, Rowena made another grave mistake. Realizing that her end was drawing near, Rowena wanted nothing more than to see her dear daughter again. Even though Helena had stolen her treasured diadem, Rowena was eager to forgive her, and hoped to hold her hand as she passed. But instead of calling upon her fellow co-founders for aid, Rowena turned to a strange ally- the Bloody Baron. Known then only as the Baron, He was a strange boy, he was one of Salazar Slytherin's earliest students, and he was consumed with many of the same vices that other dark wizards possessed. But mostly, his hot temper often led him to trouble, and ultimately, would be the cause of Helena's death. Rowena turned to the Baron for a simple reason- he was obsessed with her daughter. Since their time as students at Hogwarts, the Baron had tried to make Helena his spouse, but she always refused. Rowena, still as sharp as ever, knew that the Baron was the one person she could send to Albania who wouldn't just quit when the pursuit became too difficult. But Rowena underestimated just how rageful the Baron was. When he finally located Helena in Albania, he once again tried to confess his love. But this time, when Helena rejected him, the Baron withdrew a razor-sharp dagger and struck her dead. In the end, Rowena probably died before her daughter ever returned as a ghost. When we look at Rowena Ravenclaw's legacy, and all that she accomplished, it's hard not to ignore her personal failings. She created one of the most disciplined houses at any wizarding school, and as we've already mentioned, she actually chose the iconic location for Hogwarts construction- a decision that led to innumerable, famous encounters between students and magical creatures within the Great Lake and Forbidden Forest. According to legend, Rowena even designed the shifting floor plan, which made Hogwarts almost unchartable- unless you had the Marauder's Map, of course. For all these accomplishments and more, Rowena Ravenclaw is easily one of the most interesting co-founders at Hogwarts. But perhaps, the only way to achieve these great deeds was to sacrifice her relationship with her daughter, and sadly, that tragedy and the fate of Helena Ravenclaw is what we'll remember most about Rowena. But one thing is for sure- the Hogwarts founders, all of them, are widely thought to have possessed power that was entirely uncomparable to most modern day witches and wizards. They were all charms and transfiguration masters, expert duelists, pioneers, and more. The list goes on- they created the perfect environment for students to become accustomed to magic and the wizarding world as a whole. Hogwarts was a safe place for all- that is, after Salzar Slytherin had left, But before Slytherin left, the founders put together an impressive curriculum for the students of the school, truly leaving no stone unturned when it came to magical abilities. There were 21 subjects in total- astronomy, charms, dark arts, defense against the dark arts, flying, herbology, history of magic, potions, transfiguration, arithmancy, care of magical creatures, divination, muggle studies, study of ancient runes, alchemy, ancient studies, apparition, art, ghoul studies, magical theory, Xylomancy. If you want to learn more about these subjects, then I've got a video on it called All 21 Subjects Taught at Hogwarts, which I'll leave a link for in the description. Whichever way you want to look at it, the founders of Hogwarts made one of the greatest and longest lasting contributions to wizardkind that we know of, and these four characters were truly influential in shaping the wizarding world into the world that we know today. And that's it for today's video. If you enjoy the content please like the video and subscribe to the channel, What did you learn about the history of Hogwarts and its 4 founders? Leave a comment down below. Until next time, remember- Whether you come back by page or the big screen, Hogwarts will always be there to welcome you home.